It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Find everything at DD at patreon.com slash all gas. All of my stuff, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. And then finally, check out our YouTube channel, Dynasty Trades and Five. You can find that on YouTube. We live stream every Tuesday night talking Dynasty Trades and Dynasty Strategy. And with that, we will get right into it. Uh, Last week, got a lot of good feedback on the discussions with Adam from 4D Chess and Cody from the Overreaction Pod. Uh, Have two more great guests tonight. You will enjoy both of these topics. We're talking wide receivers and running backs, prepping for the rookie draft, how to incorporate the current class into the current dynasty landscape. So with that, I will go ahead and get into those interviews. I appreciate everybody. Good luck with all of your early rookie drafts that we have firing up right after the NFL draft. Enjoy the draft week. Enjoy the draft weekend. And we'll be back with another episode here in a few weeks. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up. Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Debbie Discord. Back to the show. What is good, everyone? We are back with another burning topic that needs to be hashed out prior to the NFL draft. Got Brandon Gonzalez Cottrell. First time I've actually said the full name. <laughs> Thanks to him clarifying for me how I should say it. Uh, at BG-C on Twitter. Uh, does a lot of random stuff for uh, Destination Devi, uh, including leading the newsletter. I will let you plug the newsletter because I'm never sure if I actually say it right. I read it. Yeah. I've put it in before, and I'm like, I think it gets you to the newsletter if you type in what I'm saying on the show. Uh, but I know that's not always the link that people will give or that they share. So I'll let you do it. But Brandon, what's going on, my friend? We have a good topic that I think people are going to enjoy. It might be a little bit... uh controversial slash hot takey uh different than what uh we're hearing other people talk about what's going on man not much man it's uh this is an interesting topic i know when we were talking about it beforehand we were you know we were discussing some of the the intricacies of what we're going to talk about in this question and i think while the 2023 class is coming up and i think there's a lot of uh there's intriguing prospects in it i think there's a good conversation that can be had here from the conversation we're gonna have tonight Indeed, we're going to talk wide receivers, and I've done a lot of content on wide receivers, talking about where they matter, where they don't matter, best ball, lineup, what's a roster clogger, what's not a roster clogger. Uh, I know on the roster construction series, we really tried to hammer down the difference between 
best ball and lineup. Where's the line for roster cloggers in both? Uh, what's acceptable? What's not? You know, what the theory is behind it. But I think we're aiming a little bit higher today. Uh, we're talking about just the 2023 receiver class in general. Uh, before we get into this specific topic, which I think we're going to drill down to the quote-unquote relevant receivers, and let's preface this by saying we are we're evaluating this from a lineup league perspective just to try to get a baseline of the top-end receivers. We'll call them top 50, top 60, whatever, how to evaluate those guys. Obviously, best ball, a lot of other receivers will fill out your roster spots randomly. I couldn't even begin to tell you who's wide receiver 10 versus wide receiver 15 and what the difference is and who I would prefer. But I guess that was my first question for you before we even start. Uh, receivers in best ball versus lineup. How are you kind of viewing this class in each one of the formats? Are you more picky? Are you excited about the receivers more in best ball? Just because it's like, well, hey, I can take this guy. I can take that guy. How, how are you kind of viewing this class from a best ball versus lineup perspective? I think this is a much better deep ball, uh, deeper best ball lineup. Or sorry, this is a better best ball wide receiver draft. Um, cause there's a, there's, well, we're going to get a little bit deeper into, into what's go why we think these guys are actually decent. There's a lot of guys that are going to probably have 50 catch seasons, 60 catch seasons that are probably not going to be your alpha wide receiver one types. You know, we'll talk about the Jackson Smith Jigba and, and others, but there's really not a ton of like your alpha type wide receivers, you know, your six two, two twenty five kind of guys. There's a bunch of guys that are. 5'10", 175, 5'10", 185, that are, that are good wide receivers. They're going to be good on, on any team, but they're not going to necessarily be your wide receiver ones, right? And so for me, I, I personally want a lot of these guys more in best ball than I do in lineup because I don't have to pick and choose when they're going to try to take the 80-yard slant to the house. They're not going to be super big target hogs. They're going to be uh, really good wide receivers, but not great wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the latest mock draft database, and so they only have five receivers going in the top 40. And I don't think those names that I say are going to surprise anybody. They have a sixth receiver going at pick 51, and then they have every other receiver in the class going outside of the second round. So when I say that, let's say I tell you there's only five receivers going in the top 40, and I put together... Uh, a thread. I, it was last week sometime, but I put together a thread that was essentially highlighting points per game for receivers drafted in certain ranges. And the takeaway was if you go in the top 10 or so, uh, that's where you're going to find your really, really good bets. The majority of guys that were really good, or at least a higher point per game perspective and a higher hit perspective. When I say hit perspective, I was measuring at like 10 points or more per game. Because people define hits as a top 24 season. But I don't know about you, but what does a top 24 season really mean? If a guy finished wide receiver 22 one time, that's a hit. If a guy finished wide receiver 26 three times, that's not a hit. I could argue in a lineup league, neither of them really move the needle at all on your roster. And in a best ball league, you're kind of going like, all right, neither of them are irreplaceable, but at the same time, they're, they're all useful. So it's kind of like the antiquated way of measuring a hit or not a hit, I think is just inaccurate for today's game. Uh, but the breakdown was essentially, if you're not a top 40 pick, 
I don't want to say you're not worth drafting, but I don't want to be firing picks in a lineup league at a guy that goes in the late second, early third, because you go through and you're like, wow, if I look at every player that's gone picks 41 to 100, which I think the community will go, Hey, that's Brandon. That's decent draft capital, right? Early third, late second. That's decent draft capital. Historically though, it just doesn't matter. You go in that range. They're bad bets. Now, Everyone will tell you they were on Deontay Johnson and Terry McLaurin. They, they, they knew those guys were going to smash. But then you look and it's like 90% of the names that went in that range. Yuck, yuck, roster clogger, roster clogger, out of the league, roster clogger. So you don't want to really bet on guys. So we're just talking guys in the top 40. So when I tell you that, only five in the top 40. Is that more or less than what you thought? That sounds about right. Um, you know, we can probably, I could probably guess JSN, Flowers, Addison, Hyatt, maybe Cedric Tillman. They, they still have QJ going in the first. So, oh, QJ, yeah, of course, the obvious one, QJ, right? So, like, when I, when we talk about like those wide receivers, like, those are the ones that, you know, most people are going to gravitate towards. But where the tricky part is, is they're going to be in those, the, most of those guys are going to fall on the pick range between 109 and like 202, 203. Um, and so you really, you're kind of, they're kind of just clumped together right now. So I think for, for me, like when I'm looking at like my lineup and I'm trying to figure out which one that I want on my team and prioritizing them, I think what's going to end up being a big situation is opportunity, right? We talk about, you know, teams needing wide receivers, Right, the game is becoming more open up, less less of a rushing attack where you turn around and hand the ball off 30, 35 times. And you got teams throwing the ball five hundred and fifty to six hundred plus times in a season. So those targets are gonna go to somebody. I mean, we we've talked about ad nauseum in the Heisman Discord. Um just the Giants, right? The Giants don't have a true number one wide receiver. I believe their number one wide receiver last year was actually right back Saquon Barkley, followed by wide receiver Darius Slate. Right. And that was in the mid 70s. So there's opportunities. So if somebody like Jordan Addison, who is 5'10, depending on where you find his listing, he's somewhere between 175 and 185 pounds. You know, it can he can he get a hundred targets? Right? Can he command that kind of target share? And if so, that's probably a guy that I'm gonna want in my lineups. Right, because he's going to get the opportunity. We know that he would probably see six, seven, eight targets. Now, what he does with those targets is completely, you know, that's dependent on the player. But I would rather take that shot on somebody like that than take a shot on somebody like, you know, I mentioned earlier, somebody like maybe Cedric Tillman, who goes to the Buffalo Bills in round three or round four, because the team's just not necessarily invested in them. And, you know, they we're not really sure what's going to happen. So here's the numbers I was talking about. Then we're going to preface it by getting into, is this wide receiver class underrated? And I think we both kind of agree it is. Now, what we're setting up here is that it's probably slim pickings. There's not a ton of options, right? This isn't a class like last year where we can go, man, there could be nine, 10 receivers that go in this sweet spot range. I think it's probably more like five, six, seven at the very most, which makes the number of shots you can take lower. But just using this data is interesting to me because, you know, essentially what it says is that since 2013, so we're going back 10 years, right? So there have been 18 receivers that have been drafted outside of the top 10, but inside the top 25. So picks 11 through 25. 
So just taking their average season. Now, this includes some guys that were complete duds. This includes some studs. So I'm just taking the average. So obviously, you know, the average can skew things if you look at the distribution. Uh, but they averaged 10.36 PPR points per season. Uh, 36 seasons total uh, scoring 10 or more points per game. 11 seasons or more scoring 15 points or more per game. So that sounds okay. But then you look at the receivers that were drafted 26 through 40, not much difference. Slightly a, sl- a smaller average, 9.73 points per season. Uh, 40 of those seasons over 10 points per game and 10 of those seasons uh, over 15 points per game. Percentage-wise, almost identical. So I almost just looked at that range and I go, listen, I, if I'm going to get first-round draft capital but it's pick 22, there's no difference between second-round draft capital and pick 36 for purposes of what we're talking about. Because then we're talking lineup league here where what I've found, Brandon, historically, one of the hardest things to predict in fantasy football isn't who the good receivers are going to be. It's who the dominant receivers are going to be. It's not that hard with all the data and all the people out there that are grinding receiver metrics. It's the one thing in Dynasty that's been studied for a decade. Like, that's the position people gravitate towards the most, you know, trying to evaluate the most. I mean, we have people that are doing it from all angles. But there's very few people that sit there and go, yeah, I knew Cooper Cup would have multiple 20-plus point-per-game seasons, right? I knew Devontae Adams was going to be the outlier of the guy that went in the second round. You know, I knew Keenan Allen would finish his career with how many seasons of 150 or more targets. Like, it's really hard to spot those guys versus the first-round receiver that just has a good career. You know, the first-round receiver, like, uh, I don't know, let's say Jerry Judy ends up having four or five more good seasons. He's a good receiver. Profile-wise, coming out of college, you would go, oh, he's better than Cooper Cup, right? He's better than even guys that went in the second round or had similar draft capital. So we're not good at sitting here going, we can find the outliers. We can find the guys that have the top five, top 12 seasons. And past research that I've done is, you know why that is? Any guess as to why we're not really good at picking out who ends up being the alphas that have the elite seasons? What, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Probably height, weight. I mean, that would be when I'm think, looking think at. Think a little more, think more broad than that. Literally, what's the difference between a guy having a wide receiver 15 season and a wide receiver 8 season? Touchdowns. Could say touchdowns, but here's here's what I found looking at data, at least through 2021. It's the quarterback efficiency. It's the guys that are tied to the offenses where the offenses are super yeah. efficient. That's the difference. I mean, you look at you look at players, quarterbacks that have carried multiple receivers in a season to top 12 seasons. Guys like Russell Wilson or Kirk Cousins or Aaron Rodgers. Now, I could tell you that those guys have done it because their historical efficiency numbers are good. But then you look at the players that were in those seats and you go, Tyler Lockett's a good player. But you telling me you couldn't put 15 other guys in that spot and they could have done a similar thing? Now, that's not discrediting Tyler Lockett, but I think the point is we, we can predict who the good receivers are without no, looking at their fantasy points by looking at a lot of stuff, market share, yards per route run, targets per route run, all that kind of stuff. But the difference between wide receiver 7 and wide receiver 17 a lot of times isn't even the volume. I can tell you two receivers are going to get 135 targets. One has Josh Allen and one has, I don't know, think of an average quarterback, Kenny Pickett. 
doesn't matter. The numbers can look exactly the same. The one with Josh Allen's probably going to finish higher for fantasy. Fair or not. So, so a lot of times it's just the quarterback efficiency. It's the efficiency of the offense. It's not even the volume. Because I looked at this through 2021, and really it takes at least 140 targets or more to be a wide receiver one on a bad offense with a bad quarterback. And are you confident in sitting here and saying, you know what receiver in this rookie class is surefire going to have 140 target or more season? I don't think we're really good at predicting that kind of stuff. So long story short, I mean, we're trying to get into what, why this class might be a little undervalued. So back to the rookie class, any comments on, on that or any thoughts as to maybe where we, people misspeak about receivers. A lot of times they, they look at players and they go, ah, oh, that guy's not that good. That guy's a stud. But then like all these peripheral numbers and advanced data says they're basically the same. The difference is one has a good quarterback. One doesn't. Well, and I think we also sometimes get stuck in where a guy goes to, right? I'm thinking of a guy like Sky Moore, who was wide receiver 50, spiked all the way up to wide receiver 30 in value just because he was on Kansas City. It wasn't anything he was going to do. It's just simply the fact that he was attached to to Patrick Mahomes. And so, therefore, we're just going to boost him in value. Right. Until now, he's right back. He's literally right back looking at KTC. He is literally right back where he was before the season started. And that's like, you know, sometimes I think we, we, we look at efficiency and we try to tweak the efficiency to, to be what we want it to be. Right. Like we want this player. We want this wide receiver because they're on this team. Right. We want this wide receiver because they're attached to this quarterback. And and I think it, we've got to be careful sometimes. And I think that's the conversation we're talking about here is, you know, the draft capital mixed with the opportunity in the landing spot can sometimes be really, could be a really big plus for a lot of these guys. You know, we're, we talked offline. There's a lot of guys that are going to probably be drafted here in the back half of the first round. What are, what normally happens with back end first round picks? What teams are those? Usually teams that are playoff teams, usually teams that have good quarterback play, usually teams that are pretty efficient for the most part on offense. So when we look at this wide receiver class, it's not like there's going to be a – we don't expect anybody to really jump into the top 10. We haven't seen anybody in the mock drafts be in the top 10. The first wide receiver off the board is typically Jackson Smith and Jigba at pick 12 to Houston. But after that, we're looking at some really efficient offenses, and these guys are going to step into those opportunities. Now, what does that opportunity look like? We have no idea. But with the draft capital and the offensive efficiency with a the quarterback, there, there might be some room there for us to say that this class is a little bit underrated well and that's the premise is that receivers have to earn their ticket into the game they have to get into the game to begin with and that is the sky more analogy of he needs to prove he's good enough to earn just like the prerequisite number of targets prerequisite number of market share to even enter the conversation so let's call it top 40 you got to be able to earn 15% or more market share, 90 to 100 targets. If you can do that, but then you find yourself in the efficient offense with the good quarterback that can elevate you, that's when you produce. And then if you show that you're even better than that and you can be one of these guys that earns a 25% market share, but then find yourself in a Joe Burrow offense, you're going to hit. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be the best player in the league, but there's a very good chance that even somebody like T Higgins, who's blocked by Jamar chase, you can pretty much slot him in for like wide receiver eight to 18 numbers. 
right? Like you can probably say his ceiling isn't any higher because he's simply not going to probably get more than a 22 to 25% market share at the very most. But you know what he gets is going to be efficient. But you also know he's shown he can earn that that volume already. So he's very safe. And there's a lot of other guys that fit that mold. And then there's other guys where you go, wow, we're elevating them to a range, but they haven't shown that they can earn the targets yet. You saw that with like Gabe Davis last year. Great situation. Well, nobody even in the way. So you get out there and you go, yeah, his market share is like 14%. He just can't earn targets. And that's that's not an indictment on Gabe Davis, but there's a reason that people were skeptical on him. And it was exactly that. If he could show me he can get me to 18 to 20% market share, he I'm very confident he's a top 30 receiver. Like the, the, the math just lines up. So when you get to this year's class, those were the names, JSN, Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Jalen Hyatt will throw Josh Downs in there. But let's just focus on those top four for, for now. JSN, Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers. I think people are kind of down on them because of, I mean, what, what are the things you hear that people are down on this receiver class for? It's uh, they're not an alpha. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lack the traits or they lack the complete package to be a dominant receiver on a team. Uh, slot too only, too small, uh, too slight, uh, it, small but not fast enough to be small. That's the other one is, okay, if you're 184 pounds, you better be running a 4.32. If you're a 4.46, you're not fast enough. Okay, that's debatable because we can find some examples. But uh, anything else you could think of on why this class is getting knocked? Then we're just going to kind of get into the current dynasty landscape and talk a little bit more about why that uh, – probably doesn't matter for what we're trying to evaluate. Again, we're trying to hit on good receivers. Do you have a problem spending a 112 rookie pick if you can hit on a perennial wide receiver three or better? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think in this day and age in fantasy, again, with more passing being the key, guys that are – maybe necessarily not alpha wide receiver ones. Like there's very few Jamar chases. There's very few Justin Jefferson's. That's why they're really hard to obtain in dynasty, right? You're not just shelling. You're not sending off. If you have a Jefferson or a chase, you're not just sending them off for any random first, right? Because they are a cornerstone piece that for the next seven to 10 years of your dynasty career, they're going to produce upper tier 15 points per game or more, right? And most in every format. Those are the guys you want. And this class kind of feels like JSN is in this tier of his own, right? Because he may not be, he doesn't have the breakaway speed, but he's an elite route runner and he's going to score a lot of fantasy points and where he's being mocked potentially to pick 21 to the Los Angeles chargers. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to want JSN because he's attached to Justin Herbert. And that's going to be, a very, that's going to be something that's going to not only boost his value, but boost his opportunity. Because we know in that offense, they have aging assets in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I mean, Mike Williams is not that old, but he's he's not exactly you know on his rookie deal anymore. Um, but they've been look they've been searching. I mean, you, if you watch some articles with Austin Eckler, you could tell Eckler was kind of like they they were missing something when Keenan Allen was out, and that they only had really Mike Williams. Bringing in a JSN would be perfect, right? But when we look at the rest of the group, the Jalen Hyatt, the, jo- the Zay Flowers, the Jordan Addison types, 
I mean, look at what Devonta Smith is able to do right alongside AJ Brown. And Devonta Smith, we I remember at nauseum. He's 170 pounds. Look at his legs. Look how small they are, Scott. He's gonna get he's gonna get knocked around the first time he gets tackled. But these guys all play tackle football the last time I checked for quite a few years. They're going to know how to get out of bounds. They're going to know how to get down. And if they don't, they're going to probably not be on the field. So I don't really have too much concern with some of these guys. Will they be elite Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson type guys? No, but I mean, look at Devonta Smith. He was pretty solid. Look at Deontay Adams. He's 5'10", 180. He had a pretty solid career. Yeah, and I think that's the... That's what we're talking about here. Barring that these guys get draft capital. Now listen, if they don't get top 40 draft capital, I'm going to be less interested. Okay? So we're we're putting that caveat out there. You're betting that these guys are going to get draft capital. You're betting that there's enough of demand at the position to where somebody takes a receiver, let's say JSN goes at 12. Someone else pulls the trigger on a receiver in the top 20. Then it's a cascade effect. Well, hey, I need to get a receiver, so I'm going to take this guy in the first. Well, hey, I need to get a receiver, so I'm going to take this guy at the third pick of the second round. Hey, I need to get one too, so I take one at pick 39. All of a sudden, we have five receivers inside that sweet range. Now, they may not be the ones you want. That's the other thing we have to acknowledge. I can sit here and say JSN, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, and Jordan Addison are the four that my eyes are on. But you still have Josh Downs. You still have Marvin Mims. Uh, Jonathan Mingo's getting a lot of buzz. I'm not saying he's going to go in this sweet spot range. And he's one of those profiles where I will very strictly say, if he doesn't go in this range, I'm not going to be interested. Uh, there's a couple others, you know, like downs or Mims. If they go pick 44, pick 46, you know, kind of like where Wandale went last year. I, I can squint and say that I will be interested because they had the profile coming into the draft, but let's just assume they get draft capital. You mentioned a couple names. Uh, I'm going to throw out the name, and you tell me if the word maybe alpha comes to mind. And I don't want to say alpha from like an NFL perspective, but in the dynasty community's perspective, do people see this guy as a quote-unquote alpha, wide receiver one, comfortable with them being wide receiver one in their dynasty league? Uh, you mentioned Devontae Smith already. How about Jalen Waddle? Uh, the way he's being valued, I would say people probably have him as at least a top 12 fantasy wideout. Okay, how about uh, Garrett Wilson? He definitely is being valued right now. I mean, I've seen people have him as high as top three, but I think he's like top five in most formats. Yep. How about uh, Chris Olave? He's creeping up there. I mean, I know a lot of people are starting to push him up even more higher now with with Derek Carr being there. Now there's a little bit of a safety net at quarterback. It was kind of an unknown. And you're not allowed to use this comp, but how about uh, Tyreek Hill? He's pretty good, isn't he? Eh, he's not too bad. Uh, you already mentioned Devontae Smith, uh, a guy that's been very steady throughout his whole career. Uh, Marquise Brown, he's pretty good, isn't he? Went on the field, he's produced. Yep. Uh, how about these guys? Do they have any uh, value in Dynasty? Uh, Jahan Dotson, Jamison Williams? People like those guys, right? People seem to like those guys, yep. Uh, Calvin Ridley, people like him too? Yeah. yeah Brandon absolutely. Cooks, he's been valued... Uh, Pretty steadily throughout his what eight year tumultuous career, yeah. Always been a fantasy top fifteen producer. It feels like, yeah, top ten uh, in the NFL the last three years in target share. Deontay Johnson, including a wide receiver one season, yeah, that's, that's an outlier, right? Yep. 
Uh, let's see. A couple of these guys didn't make the cut for the purposes of this argument, but there's a few others uh, people really like. I already mentioned Wandale, Darnell Mooney. You know, some people don't like those guys. Uh, but then you got Tyler Lockett. He's been steady for a long time. Elijah Moore, uh, back up to uh, top 40 receiver at this point, uh, or at least close to it, uh, if you don't count the rookies that are in there. Everybody I name is less than 190 pounds. In fact, Brandon, uh, looking at the current top 60 receivers in Dynasty right now, 17 of them are less than 190 pounds. So that just tells you right there, you don't need to be, you know, 6'2", 215 to be considered a a good receiver. Now, wide receiver one in Dynasty, wide receiver two in Dynasty, we've kind of already laid out that that is an unrealistic expectation for anybody. You know, one out of 50 guys hits that. So to sit there and say there's not an alpha, you're just stating the obvious. But you're telling me that guys like Devontae Smith and... Garrett Wilson, Chris Lave, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. Like I just named five of the top 15 receivers in Dynasty right there, and they all fit that criteria. So that's 17 out of 60. Uh, now that's just weight, right? Uh, any receivers, do, does height concern you with receivers at all? Do you care at this point? To an extent. I mean, there's, there, I mean, it's not exactly like every, if you have a good, efficient quarterback and they know where to place the football, I don't really think height is that big of a deal, right? Like, if you're 5'9", does it really make a difference if you're 5'9 or 5'10"? What's an inch? Right? Yeah. You're already – you're in cleats. Like, your helmet fits the same way. You're, I mean, 5'9", 5'10", I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Now, if you're saying, like, what's the difference between 5'10 and 5'7", three inches, that's a little bit. That That's definitely, like, something that's definitely, you know, concerning, but – the difference between 5'9 and 5'10, I think we make a big deal about one inch. I mean, it's the same well, thing with quarterback, right? Right? Like it a is. Quarterback that's, a quarterback that's 5'11, a quarterback that's six foot. What's the difference? Is that inch really going to make a difference between the ball placement? If the quarterback can throw the football and be accurate with the football, it doesn't really matter if he's 6'5 or if he's 5'11 and 3'8. And those 17 of those 60 guys were under 190 pounds. 14 of the 60 were 5'10 or under. So again, we're working at about like 25% or more of receivers that are below this threshold that people will talk about. Now, I'm just picking arbitrary 5'10", 190. I get it. A guy can be 5'9", 184, and that's pretty good, pretty well built, right? I mean, that, but that's the other thing. When you start bringing in like the BMI factor, which I know people argue BMI, but you got guys like Alave, J-Mo, Jerry Judy. These guys are tall and lanky, you know, just because you're 6'2", 190, you know, you're a little bit taller, but to sit here and say, oh, yeah, you're much more durable than a guy that's 5'10", 184. Like, it's not mm -hmm. that big a difference. So I think the knock on, you know, yeah, these guys are small, they're slot only. I'm not even going to go through guys that I would say are slot only. I don't have the data in front of me. But there's a lot of receivers on this list, too, that I'd go, you know, yeah, those guys play in the slot a lot. They're still productive. So I think it's just a, it's a misnomer that this wide receiver class isn't that great. There isn't an elite one, but then – I. What if there is an elite one? What if JSN is an elite one? He just doesn't have the same type of profile that we would typically look for for the elite guy. But, you know, Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen, we already mentioned those guys. Nobody saw those guys coming. Those guys would have been filtered out or screened out based on some of the stuff that we were talking about right now. Not just height and weight, but where they got drafted, their speed. Like People would have filtered them out and go, oh, yeah, but I knew that that was my second-round sleeper. You know, Cooper Cup, he was my third-round sleeper. I was getting in him every league. You know, people always will say that. So 
What is your take right now on zigging where other people are zagging with this wide receiver class? Because I've heard, we even talked about it on the interview I did with Cody. He even said, you know, he was a little scared about these picks in the late first. Going like, abort, 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 get out of these picks. I don't want to draft that Jordan Addison, that Zay Flowers, that Quentin Johnston. Doesn't it feel like we may be able to hit on another? It's not going to be as deep as the last couple of years, but are you willing to go the other way and kind of bet for this receiver class when other people are fading it? Yeah, I am. And it's, and it's simply because these guys, again, if you, if you preface it with the understanding that you're probably not going to get top 10 fantasy finishes out of these players, out of most of these guys, that's fine. Right. Could they, could they land a a wide receiver eight like Deontay Johnson had a couple of years back? Like, like produce a bunch of like wide receiver 15 wide receiver 20 seasons and have one pop pop season where they're wide receiver eight. Yeah. That could probably happen. I could see that with like a Jordan Addison, if he's in LA, or I could see that if maybe Zay flowers goes to the giants and they, you know, they clearly are trying to do a short passing game and they can use some of his speed and quickness. Like I could see that, you know, th- th- those things can happen. I think you have to take your, you have to look at your, at your own roster and say, you know, would I want to have Zay Flowers or Jordan Addison as my wide receiver one on my lineup team? Probably not. But if I've got a CD Lamb or I've got an AJ Brown or maybe even, I, I don't know, I'd probably go maybe as far as like a Tyreek Hill, maybe Devontae Adams as my wide receiver one. And I know that I've got that elite production from the wide receiver position and I can, I have the 111. Yeah, I'll take the shot on one of those guys in, the, in a landing spot because you know what? I'm not expecting them to give me 15 plus points per game. I'm looking for points per game. And that's why we play fantasy football. It's to score points. And if these guys are on the field producing and scoring points, I want them. So let me ask your opinion on just a couple of these names that are, are clearly valued at or above some of the rookies this year. And do we think it's the correct price from like a re-roll standpoint? Cause you hear that term a lot re-roll. I've used it all the time. I'm going to willing to re-roll on Jahan Dotson or George Pickens but I even acknowledge, and I've told people this privately in direct messages that will ask me, hey, should I trade this uh, George Pickens for the 111? And I'll say, I don't mind the re-roll. But there's no leverage in a re-roll. A re-roll is a one-for-one. One. It is a, I'm rolling a dice, I rolled a three, I'm trying to roll a four, five, or six. That's it. That's literally a re-roll. Now, to sit there and say you're so confident that your re-roll is going to be more profitable, especially when the guy you're trading away, somebody like Pickens or Dotson, they, their scene is already good enough for the community to have value for. It's not like you're re-rolling on a bad player. I think that edge in Dynasty is gone. The idea that a guy is a terrible rookie and you can just re-roll at close to what you paid, that's not happening anymore. You can't re-roll Sky more for a, an early second, late first. Because there's too many people out there going, man, if he doesn't do X, Y, or Z as a rookie, I'm out. You you sell for half the price at best. Like, you can maybe get a late second for Sky Moore, but a lot of people choose to go, well, you know, I'd, I'd rather not re-roll for 50% of what I paid last year. So the true re-roll guys feel a little uncomfortable, right? Like Ray says, operate within the uncomfortable range. It's uncomfortable to re-roll on Jahan Dotson or George Pickens because – there's a pretty good chance they kind of are what you're hoping that these guys are, right? But let me just ask you this with some veterans. A guy like Amari Cooper or a re-roll for the wide receiver? Let's assume all four of the guys we're talking about, and let's throw one wild card in there, maybe Mims or Hyatt. Amari Cooper or the re-roll? Uh, 
and we'll exclude JSN because we know his market is higher, but Amari Cooper for one of these 109 through 112 picks where you're getting any of these receivers that go in this top 40. Amari or the re-roll? I'm going to stick with Amari. Um, okay. He's attached to an, he's attached to an, uh, a historically efficient quarterback in Deshaun Watson. So I'm okay. fine with, I'm fine with staying with, with, with Amari. Uh, George Pickens or the re-roll? I'll take the re-roll. I'll take the re-roll. Okay. Uh, what about a couple of the other rookies last year? Traylon? That's a tough one. Um, I think I'm going to lean Traylon, but it's hard because I know that that offense is not super efficient. Like, it's not. Like, they don't throw the ball a ton. But I also think that some of his injuries from last year early on are kind of skewing how we see Traylon right now. Because he did start to do very well once he got on the field. So I think I would give that another look. Uh, Calvin Ridley or Terry McLaurin or the re-roll? They are both valued ahead of Zay Flowers in ADP. That's another tough one. I I feel like I would probably take the re-roll if it was Ridley, but I'll probably stick with McLaurin. Okay. Even though even though there are some some there's some smoke that they potentially are going to come up for like an Anthony Richardson. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking right now. So this is DLF's ADP. So, you know, you can mm-hmm. miss me if you don't like it. It's just a random sample. But yeah. JSN, wide receiver 17. Then you got Addison, wide receiver 25. Johnston, wide receiver 26. And Zay Flowers, wide receiver 35. So we're talking the four top receivers off the board, according to their ADP. 17, 25, 26, and 35. Take a guess where the top four were last year. Just in terms of where the top four were at this time last year, the first, you know, debut where they jumped into ADP right before the NFL draft. So it would have been what Wilson, Olave, Chamo, and Burks, roughly, and Drake London, and Drake London. Drake London was like a top ten wide receiver, probably close to like maybe even like eleven or twelve. He wasn't. So it's actually Garrett Wilson was nineteen. So similar okay. to JSN. Traylon okay. was 21, Drake London 27, Jamison Williams 29, Chris Alave 32. Okay. So I thought there would be you, a little bit of a gap, and I wasn't sure which there's, way. And there's not. And that's what's interesting to me is we're talking the entire pool. So I pulled that up a little earlier, and I was surprised. I was sitting here thinking, oh, man, this year's guys are going to be buried compared to last year. No, they're the exact same area. And... I think that kind of makes our argument that kind of wraps our argument up of like people, if you're doing a startup, people value the current rookies coming in very similar within the scope of the wide receiver pool. And I think that's something I'm going to have to do a little more research on is one thing we don't account for that you're starting to see every single year is if we're going to bring four or five receivers that come in every year and we're going to value them as top 40, top 50 receivers in the NFL, what's going to happen? Who's going to lose out? Last year's wide receiver 45 is going to get pushed down. If he doesn't sustain, he's going to get pushed down, right? The guy that was already teetering on like top 50 status, you know, think of the, the Darnell Moonies, the Kadarius Tonys, the Chase Claypools, those guys. If they don't produce next year's, whoever the potential late first, early second round receivers are just going to replace them because that's the market. 
So a lot of times, like there is some insulation with these rookies, but really what you're shooting for is they end up hitting in this mix where they have lasting power. They don't land in the, you know, Jahan Dotson, George Pickens range where, okay, they probably need another year to cement themselves as like wide receiver twos, wide receiver threes. If not, their value right now is just simply there because they're young. They're not any better than I can name you 15 to 20 guys behind George Pickens in value that you're going, yeah, that's a better receiver than George Pickens, but he's just there because of his age. So I think with that, we're undervaluing this receiver class because the perception is, it's just not as good as years past. And I think it might be a mistake. So I don't know if you had any final points, but I, I think as everyone fades it and goes, ah, oh, these aren't alphas. And I think they're going to slide in the NFL draft, not for what you and I are looking at, but they're not going to go in the top 10 top 15, like last year, you know, last year we had all these guys go in the top 16, top 18 picks. And it was like, Ooh, what a star studded class reality pick 16 and pick 25. Aren't that different from what I was talking about. So final points on this class, any, any takeaways, strategy points that you think you might be able to exploit before we get to closer to the NFL draft. I think one of the things that you just brought up too, that, that was interesting when, you know, the cluster of how the, the wide receivers kind of sit is it'll be interesting to see, who breaks out of that group, right? Drake London broke out of that group, take going a pick eight to Atlanta, right? Because there was there was the thought that he would be attached to Matt Ryan. So it'll be interesting to see out of that group of JSN, Flowers, Addison, QJ, who kind of breaks out of that group and who just kind of either maybe stays stagnant and maybe starts to slip. Because as you start your rookie drafts and as ADP starts to change, because you know that'll be the end of April, once that May ADP comes out, as you start your rookie drafts, if you notice that maybe one of these guys is starting to slip, maybe that's the opportunity to maybe wait on a guy, right? You don't necessarily have to go take if Let's just say it's Quentin Johnson. For whatever reason, Quentin Johnson slips to the second round to like pick 34, right? If he starts to slip, you know, maybe you don't need to take him at 110 or 111. Maybe you can wait a few extra picks. Maybe you can trade out of that pick. You know, maybe you can trade back a few picks because you like him still. He's still a top 40 wide receiver, but somebody values that Zach Charbonnet or somebody values that running back that goes to Miami at pick 52, right? Somebody, you know, who takes that, wants to take that shot on the, you know, the running back who goes round two to Kansas City because they, you know, they want to replace Jet. That's the kind of small deals that you could pick up some value where you still like the wide receiver. He still hits the threshold that we talked about tonight but you don't necessarily have to be pigeonholed into, ah, I need to take him at 109, and you have to reach a little and hope that, you know, he turns out to be something. Yeah, I think that's an awesome point. Uh, you basically just said it in a uh, different way. You said to look for leverage instead of just re-rolling this a one-for-one, one, instead of trading that player for the 110 so you can draft a receiver. Trade the player for the 110, knowing you can draft the receiver, but then see if you can maybe move back and pick up an extra body at running back, pick up a future third. Because I do think you're going to see some of these receivers get, quote-unquote, later draft capital, maybe a landing spot people don't love. But I'm sitting here going, man, Jordan Addison went to this team in the late first, and the community doesn't love it but I'm still willing to bet on it for what we just talked about. I'm not trying to hit on the next Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or even CD Lamb or AJ Brown. Like that's not the expectation. If that was the expectation, they'd be going where JSN is or higher. I think it's just you're, you're hitting a double with these receivers. And I think people are looking at them like the chance that you're going to strike out with these guys is super high. And I go, it's really not that different than years past. We've had some good successes in years past, but I don't think like the strikeout rate with this year's class is any higher. It's just. There's not as many of them, 
and people don't love the names as much as they did in years past. We've been our minds have been warped from the past couple of years, and I think it's affecting how people are valuing this guy. So, see if you can find some creative deals. I'm not saying you know take ten shares of these guys, like tone in on one or two of them, but I think there's going to be enough of them that you can diversify, but not enough of them that you're going to have hard time choosing. Top 40 draft capital. I'll make exceptions maybe for top 50 if it's the right profile, like Downs or Mims goes in the top 50. I'll have a couple shares, but that's it. I'm not interested, and we didn't even talk about this, but I'm not interested in fourth round Kayshawn Boutte. You know, I'm not interested in uh, fourth round Xavier Hutchinson, third round Jonathan Mingo. Like uh, Those are roster cloggers in lineup leagues. I don't care how much they're getting hyped. I don't care if Cedric Tillman and Jonathan Mingo have – they're, they're big body X receivers, you know, they're just not good bets. Anyway, we could go on for a lot longer, but, uh, try to keep these somewhat brief. So Brandon, thanks for coming on, uh, plug anything, plug the newsletter. So everyone knows how to sign up for that. And, uh, yeah, floor is yours to end it, my friend. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come jump on destination dynasty and chop it up with you. Um, we could probably talk about this all night long, but you could, uh, sub to the newsletter. It's allgas.beehive.com. That's beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com. Uh, every Friday, the the wonderful w, uh, Destination Debbie team puts together a free newsletter for you guys. It is uh, quite a quite a, an extensive list of resources that are attached to this newsletter, and it's it's one of the the highlights of my weekend. Uh, getting to watch it. Uh, come together and then uh, being able to publish it and send it out to everybody. It, it's always fun seeing what each creator underneath the destination Debbie umbrella uh, provides each week. Yeah. And it's getting better. Like that even six months ago, it, it was a much more basic than it is now. Like it's getting a lot better to the point where the tools we have in there, the resources we have in there, our team is growing so much to where, like we have tons of different types of perspective. It's not just you and I and some of the other people that you hear on the feed. Like there's a lot more people behind the scenes that are participating in like the Heisman chat. And I I know there are contributors to the newsletter that are generating ideas from like voice chat. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, that might be a good yeah. thing to talk about and be able to put it in like consumable form. So Check it out. Uh, everyone sign up for the, the discord patreon.com slash all gas. Uh, you won't regret it. Once you're in there, you'll be like, wow, I'm spending way too much time in here uh, daily. Uh, like I talk to Brandon hour, uh, probably hours a day. We probably talk to each other, like either directly yeah. or indirectly, you know, like we're, we're literally in there chopping it up daily during work, during downtime, during commutes on, you know, drive here, drive there, running errands. Oh, it's awesome. So check it out. Check out the newsletter. Follow Brandon BG dash C on Twitter. Check out everything over at destination Debbie. Uh, good luck. Everybody in their rookie drafts. Before we get to the next episode, uh, you'll be having your drafts uh, fire up. Uh, there will not be a Destination Dynasty episode uh, the week after the NFL draft. So Monday after the draft, I'll leave it to all the draft contributors, all the live stream content that we're going to do. Uh, all of that can shine because I'll be busy doing, I think I have 18 drafts that start either Sunday or Monday. So like, there's, there's not really a time to start yeah. doing the podcasts. But um, yeah, I'm- yeah, I got we'll, like we'll let the draft people shine. We'll let the yeah. draft people shine. We're going to live stream during the draft. I'm sure uh, they're going to put all that content out there in podcast form for people to listen to if they want to. So uh, no no episode next week, but uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks with uh, probably some rookie draft stuff 
uh, kind of to see how things are going. But thanks, Brandon, for coming on. Appreciate everybody listening, and I'll go ahead and sign off. Be chill. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Devi team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to strategize with us in the Destination Devi Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up. Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. All right, everyone, we are back. This is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, Destination Dynasty has put out a lot of content this offseason talking about the running back landscape. We have talked hours upon hours in the Discord. I don't even want to say hours. It's more like days at this point in terms of trying to figure out what is the current running back landscape, how to navigate it with the market, More importantly, we have an awesome running back class, and we'll talk more about what awesome means relative to the landscape coming in this year. And then what's the future look like at the position? So here to chop it up with me, uh, talk all things running back. I know he's a running back savant. Uh, I know him as Iowa Michael or McNutted. You may know him as the co-host of 4D Chess. Mike, what's going on, man? Glad to be back. We did the roster construction series. We're back on Destination Dynasty talking about running backs and what the hell to do with this mess. What's going on, man? Oh, what's going on, Scott, man? Had Happy to be here uh, to talk running backs. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a RB truther. I still still rock with the running backs, even though uh, they've been disappointing these last few years. And As much as you always do podcasts and talk about uh, the running back situation, the running back landscape, and keep bringing me down every time you do, I'm, I'm here to take my licks, but we have to wade through this situation because it is it is horrible. It is absolutely disgusting, and this is one that needs to be hashed out for the listeners, and we got to figure out a plan. What are we doing with these guys? Yeah, and anyone that's listening to my stuff and 4D Chess, there's some nuances. You know, We talk about different stuff, but... We did the roster construction series, and I think it's important to understand the difference between if you're in a lineup or in a best ball, how to handle running backs in terms of what you're looking for, where your cutoff is, what's a suboptimal rostered running back in a best ball league. So get a handle on that before you soak in this discussion, because we're going to kind of go all over the place. Maybe we'll say some things that apply to best ball and apply to lineup, vice versa. Uh, But it's going to be a more general discussion of the position itself in this rookie class. But if you want to know specifically about best ball or lineup, go back and listen to the roster construction series is because they, they touch on that, like the kind of what you're looking for in each format and how it differs. Cause it does differ, you know, that you can almost take the running backs in lineup and, you know, you switch it with the roster construction that you would apply in best ball and vice versa with the wide receivers. So let's just start with the position as a whole. Before we get into this rookie class, because I asked you what you wanted to talk about, and I think it's a great topic to try to figure out this year's rookie class, but I don't think we can really understand this year's rookie class until we do a level set of just where the running back market is in general, because I don't think it's fair to look at this rookie rookie class and say these guys are better than a lot of guys in the NFL right now, 
but I think it's fair to say that they're comparable. But there's also a lot of running backs that fit very similar to what this rookie class is, and we go, well, guys like Damian Harris or Devin Singletary or Deontay Foreman. The NFL has kind of shown they don't want those guys, really. They're just bodies. We'll take them. They serve a purpose, but there's not really a market. It reflects in the contracts. We're not going to necessarily get all into that right now, but just your thoughts on the running back market compared to now versus what it was a couple years ago and just how you view it differently. Forget about this class, but going forward, like, hey, great, you're going to get a good running back coming into the NFL. What does that actually mean to you with where the landscape is now? I definitely think it's a jumbled mess, man. It is. It is. There's there's certain guys that I feel really good about their situation, and those are the, you know, the handful of guys that we know, right? We're so... Bijan, we feel good about wherever the hell he goes. We feel good about his talent. Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, like the mainstays. And then you start getting farther down these lists and you're going, like, I'm trying to make tiers for my rankings, right? I don't really care about where I rank them number-wise, but I care about the pool, the pool of player I put in. And when I start doing my rankings, I get down farther and farther. The tier becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm going, these guys are all the same. Like they could have a job tomorrow. They could not have a job tomorrow. They could get 60% of the workload or they could be, you know, kind of like Antonio Gibson was for me last year. I'm trying to buy into Antonio Gibson at this time last year. And everything is telling me, no, you shouldn't Right? his workload. They're bringing another guy in. They're going to give him the work. There's a lot of guys kind of in that Antonio Gibson bucket where it goes like, I like the talent at one point. I like the situation, but it's changed so much from year to year. And the NFL draft is just another kick in the teeth. Like some of these guys where you invested heavily in, you're going to find out in a few weeks that maybe the team really doesn't care about them. They really don't. They're just a replaceable guy. They're just looking for bodies to go in. So if I look at my rankings with running backs and I go down to a certain point and I exclude rookies, like I probably got 30, 40 running backs where I go, they're all kind of in the same situation right now. How I feel about them could be massively different in a couple of weeks when we're talking about inserting these rookies or inserting who's going to be competition in the backfield for them. So it's tough to wade through. But I do kind of just have an arbitrary list, and we talked about it on our best ball roster construction series where it's like if I'm doing a startup right now or if I'm roster building right now, I probably got like 50, 60 running backs where I want to invest in, and everybody below that cutoff, there's no chance. Like, like You can just look at their profiles and go, this guy's easily replaceable, and it's going to take something where it goes – they have an injury or they don't do anything in the NFL draft or they don't add any competition before the season goes where they're relevant. And you have all that time. If, if you start to get that feeling where you can buy back into them. So about, I'd say about 50, 60, if I look at my ranks right now, about 60, I, I look at who's 61, 62, 63. I don't really have any interest in them at all on my rosters uh, lineup or best ball, but, it's it's uh it's definitely interesting in this space, and this is something we got to hash through because not only am I talking just the running backs who are vets who have jobs right now, but Scott, we got what 15, 16 possible running backs that are going to be added here in the next week. That's wild to me. That now this list has to grow, and we have to sort through this crap even even harder. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in what you said. And I think some basic principles that I've taken into this offseason 
um, have been the following. One, other than the guys you mentioned at the very top, and it's very interesting. I've had this discussion with Ray offline many, many times. When I sit there and I say, Mike, name the running backs that are mainstays that you trust are going to be I don't even want to use the word bell cow because I think a lot of times that refers to, oh, this guy's going to get every touch or every snap. I mean, I've basically rebutted that on the last Destination Dynasty show talking about running backs. Like, that's few and far between, right? But when you say the guys you trust, you mentioned the names, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. You could probably throw, like, until he doesn't stay healthy or goes away, Derrick Henry's in that mold. You know what his role is going to look like. It's going to be a lot of touches, right? So my... My first thing is we have to get past the fact that, A, it's a pretty decent bet to say there's not a lot of those guys coming down the pike from college, from high school. Like, there's not going to be a Bijan in every class. There's not going to be a Brees Hall in every class. If you just want to say there's going to be one, I would accept that. One or two guys that could be seen as these elite bell cow, whatever you want to call it, running backs. And then everyone else. And I think the everyone else is where we get really, really caught up in Dynasty in, I don't even want to say overvaluing, but the expectations are way too high. So just look at the running back landscape this way. At all times going forward, 90% of the running back landscape is a year-to-year proposition. Now that doesn't mean that a year-two guy like Ken Walker isn't a good proposition. He's on the very high end of that 90% of guys that are year-to-year, right? He's much higher on that end than, say, somebody like... Leonard Fournette or Joe Mixon, but essentially they're in the same bucket, at least for a short term period of time. Right? So we have to quit looking at running backs as I'm investing in something. If you're drafting B. John Robinson, you are not investing in the asset. What you're buying is you hope you get a shit ton of warp advantage over the next three or four years. And then if you're smart, you'll go, wow, Bijan's just smashed for me for three years. If you can find a fish or a sucker to buy high from you at that point, you should be able to cash out for multiple firsts or a receiver and a first or something like that because you're selling, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley in their prime, right? There should still be a market. Now, it may not be the market that people are expecting for Bijan even right now, you know, three plus first like that. I don't think that market really is ever going to come back. Uh, until it does. So I'm just willing to make a bet that it doesn't. But I think that's the first thing. We need to quit looking at running backs as an asset. The second thing, and this drives me crazy, is you mentioned one thing when you were going through opportunity, landing spot. That matters a lot, but I think we need to quit looking at, oh man, there's not a lot of good landing spots. I I mentioned this the other day on Trades in 5, and I'll say it again here. Graham Barfield put out a tweet last night. And I I like the guy. He's a nice guy, but he put out a tweet about this running back class doesn't look that great. There's not a lot of great opportunities. And I'm just sitting there, and I have a million words going through my mind when he's tweeting that. But the reply is basically, you know what? Because 90% of the opportunities in the NFL don't exist for what the old antiquated running back opportunity is. I'm not hoping... I love a guy like Kendra Miller, or Izzy Abanacanda. You know what my hope for them is? They find a nice little committee and they can carve out their half. Right. That's the expectation. It is not they become the next Dalvin Cook or the next Alvin Kamara or the next Joe Mixon to where they're having multiple 350-plus touch seasons. Like That's not the expectation anymore. The NFL isn't expecting that anymore. They're not drafting running backs to expect that. They're going, oh, wait, we, we like this guy we have. Let's draft this guy too. It's a nice pair. Now, however that workload ends up shaking out, 
we can say it's 60-40, 40-60. That's what we hope for. What we hope for is that it's split between those two and they don't bring in a third pass catching back and then another running back they have to bring in for eight snaps because they're the best pass protector. Like That's where it starts getting ugly. But that's why I did that show on the 60-40 and the 40-60 and what those look like because you can still find a bunch of top 12, top 15 running backs that fit that archetype. Look at Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is the exact running back that you're looking for when you're drafting a guy in round two of your rookie draft. Even late round one, you will take that. You don't need bell cow workload, 20 plus touches a game. Like that's a pipe dream. That's not happening anymore in the NFL. So I think that's the other thing is we need to reset our expectations that when I say, Hey, I'm going to draft any running back that gets drafted in the first five rounds of this year's NFL draft in my rookie draft, I'm not drafting them because I think they're going to be a bell cow. They're going to be a starter in three years. I'm drafting them to fit a very specific spot on my roster. They just add to my running back stable. They could end up being Damian Pierce. They could end up being Isaiah Spiller. There sometimes is no in-between with those two types. But you want to collect them for that reason. But you collect them with the expectation of, well, you know what? If I just tell you you're collecting them, Mike, wouldn't you rather pay the 211 than the 111? Right, 100%. So I think that's where we have to kind of shift our mindset and say, you mentioned Antonio Gibson. Listen, I love buying Antonio Gibson right now. I love buying guys I can project for a workload for less than market because the market is saying, oh, well, they're not going to get a bell cow opportunity, right? DeAndre Swift, same way. I, I've never bought DeAndre Swift. I'm buying DeAndre Swift now because you look at his efficiency and you go, dude can be a top 15 running back. All he needs is his 13 opportunities a game that he's gotten for his career, and he can just keep doing it. So I think we just need to level set on what the expectations are. And that's why we did roster construction and we talk about roster construction because it's so much easier to do when I don't have the pressure to find this bell cow because I'm only rostering four running backs. And I go, man, you're telling me I have to pick the running back four in this class at my 112 and the expectation is they need to be a bell cow? Good luck. Good luck, because I'm probably getting beat by the guy that has three picks in the second and the third, and he's just taking three shots. It's a coin flip on who ends up getting the bell cow and who ends up getting the Tyrion Davis price or the Isaiah Spiller. I, I think we just have to level good. set how how we're going to value these guys, and it makes me interested in makes me interested in Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, dude. You're going to throw those guys around for a third because you got to draft that Zach Evans in the early second. Okay, you know that. All running backs are on the table at this point. So I know long-winded, but I think we just need to start viewing the running back landscape differently, not what it was five years ago to where there were starters in backups. Now it's just like there's the top 5 to 10% and then everybody else. And I need enough of the everyone else's to make sure I can get through the season. And you play it year to year from there. Here was a, a great cheat code just talking about it that, that worked really well. And you can still pull this off probably right up until the NFL draft when people actually start really discussing landing spots and draft capital and the whole works. But think about some running backs last year. Like Rashad White had a, a decent enough rookie year, and he had some, some promise. And he started to build some hype and some steam. Well, this offseason, the minute they let go of Leonard Fournette, even though they lost Tom Brady to retirement, Rashad White like skyrocketed. People are going, oh, he's walking into that that workload, right? He's going to get 60, 70% of the touches. It's going to be Rashad White's backfield. There's other running backs like James Cook had some, some decent moments, lost Devin Singletary, 
but didn't skyrocket as high because people don't like his profile as much, right? He's a oh, he's a Naheem Hines basically. He's a he's a younger Naheem Hines. He's just a third down guy. That's the kind of moves in Dynasty that you can make where you go. If I look at those two, Scott, I think they have the same opportunity. They have the same ability where they have an established role. I don't know if they're going to be the lead back or if they bring anybody else in. But the dynasty market says they're vastly different in what they cost. So if I have a Rashad White on my team, I go to the guy who has James Cook and I go, basically, these are the same dudes. Give me any James Cook plus, like any plus that you'll give on top, whether it's a third in best ball leagues for me as a contender. Fab is important and people overlook that shit all the time. So I'm going, hey, give me $10 in fab, you know, give me 10% of your fab budget or whatever it may be. And I'll use that in season. You can do that with these running backs. Uh, um, Khalil Herbert was another one, right? As soon as David Montgomery left, it's going to be the Khalil Herbert show. And we just talked about Antonio Gibson. What's the difference between Khalil Herbert and Antonio Gibson? Nothing. Nothing but perceived market is vastly different on these guys. So if if you kind of just put these guys into a bucket where after you get past what you were talking about, like, you know, the Derrick Henrys of the world, the last guy where you know, like, this is one I can trust for his workload for the next year at least once you get past those guys and just kind of lump the rest into, they may be good. I know they kind of have a job. I know that they're going to have a workload. They have a role, but I don't know how much of it's going to be. I'm willing to bet on somebody that's ranked 30 spots lower (laughs) that the community hates and just give me that two for one deal. You talk about it all the time with your leverage deals. Those are the ones that I was trying to pull off this off season, right? I can hate, AJ Dillon, but if the community decides that they they don't like AJ Dillon, all of a sudden I'm in on AJ Dillon. I'm going, wow, the community hates AJ Dillon. They think Aaron Jones is is still really, really good. AJ Dillon's not going to do anything without Aaron Rodgers there. All of a sudden I'm buying AJ Dillon. I just use that as an example. I don't think the community actually hates AJ Dillon from what I see in my leagues, but just use that as a player. And if you can find those edges, I think that's probably the way to play running back position going forward. You're going to have the occasional Bijan Robinson or the next, you know, Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey, but those guys are going to be outliers and they're probably only happening once every couple of years. We want to pump up these other guys to be that, but they're not going to be like, do you really think like Jameer Gibbs is going to be a, a bell cow at any point in his career? He's going to be that 70 touch guy. If somebody in your league wants to bet on it, let them. But you don't have to. Like, there's one of these guys in this class, and there's what one guy that we've seen in the last couple of years, like Bijan Robinson, and we're probably not going to see one for a while. Like, we can talk about 24 and going forward. All that is is just a projection. So, I think probably the way I'm playing running back market, Scott, is a lot of your approach, uh, taking a lot of what you had, and then just trying to identify the ones where I can hit and play it from a portfolio standpoint. So if there's a guy or a prospect profile that I really like, am I going to draft him a little higher than some of these other guys? Probably just because I want more shares of them. But the minute that they really take off or start to hit, like I'm looking to sell, I'm looking to pivot down. I'm looking to find some crusty turd running back that has the same opportunity, the same role that the community doesn't value. One point you made that I think, I want to repeat because it's so important. It's the crux of this entire show is forget about any players that we've named thus far. Make your list, make your tiers, however you want to judge it or gauge it. Make your list of the 
the bell cows, the 60 plus percenters, the 70 plus percenters. After that list, what you always want to be doing is going to the top of the other list and seeing if you can get leverage trades. Seeing if you can pivot down and go, okay, who's at the top of this list? Uh, probably, I don't know, Javante Williams or Najee Harris because, well, they're young. Yet the data I says neither of those guys are any good. They're just bodies masked by the fact that they got good draft capital and at one time they were worth a lot. But if they're being valued at RB13, RB15, RB17, J.K. Dobbins is another one. I like Dobbins, but if you're telling me I can pivot down and I can get a second round pick and another running back like an A.J. Dillon that you mentioned, all you're doing is taking advantage of essentially just player fatigue there where people go, like A.J. Dillon is the same guy he was two years ago. The exact same player. He's probably never going to be a lot better, but it's probably fair to say what he's been the last couple of years. He probably is going to be that or more in the next couple of years. So then you're just making a bet. Okay, what can I get tacked on to AJ Dillon? Because, you know, this guy has to get now he has to get David Montgomery now. Because apparently David Montgomery is on one of the best offenses with one of the best offensive lines. So he's gotten better now. So I just got to get that that David Montgomery. And I'm willing to give you that AJ Dillon in a second. Okay. Like, that's the type of deal I want to get. That's how I can accrue value on my team. And it doesn't alter my roster construction. Sure, would I prefer David Montgomery over A.J. Dillon straight up if I was forced to pick, like, gun to my head? Yeah, I'd probably pick David Montgomery. But you're now throwing in the second, which now gives me the chance to, A, add it to something else. B, guess what I can do? I can probably go buy another A.J. Dillon if I wanted. So if my roster construction warrants it, I can go buy another running back. So if you ever find a point where you're, you lack enough running backs. Okay, that's why you have the extra picks. Because when you're playing in these waters and you're constantly doing this, there's going to be years where you're thinking a guy is going to be one of these like threshold running backs. And then, shit, free agency happens, the draft happens, and guess what, Mike? He's not anymore. Now I need to go get another one. You know what? I Hopefully I have some picks that I can do it with. Also, you can draft running backs in this year's class. It's the same thing. Like, hey. I can pivot from David Montgomery to AJ Dillon and get the 211. Guess what? I'm going to probably draft a running back. Okay. I accomplished the same exact thing. So I, I think it's always just looking at the position that way. And that's why I still pay attention to Twitter. That's why I still listen to podcasts. I want to see who are the analysts out there pumping up. Oh, man. This guy's going to rebound. Yeah. Buy that Javante Williams, man. Wait till he comes back. Hell, buy that JK Dobbins. Wait until he comes back. Right. He's going to be the bell cow in Baltimore. And then you look up and he has 250 touches and he's RB 17 and you go, why was I ever paying RB 17 prices for him when I could have got the exact same thing, especially from a warp standpoint in a best ball league. And I could have tacked on an extra second. So it's really taking advantage of player fatigue and just perception. And that leads us into this 2023 class because I'm struggling right now. We do these mock drafts. I'm in a mock draft at least once a week, if not more. And I had this conversation, um, you know, with some other people about the receiver class and how people don't really like it. But man, I am really struggling when you get to the 111, 110, 109, and I get it. People are trying to speculate on who's going to be the RB3 in this class. But I, I just see someone taking maybe a third round Zach Charbonnet, like 108. And I'm going, dude, there's a very good chance you're just buying into the muck mess and you're paying the 108 when I can pay the 208 and get a slightly lesser preferred player 
But doesn't it feel like this class, like the last thing I want to be doing is reaching on these running backs in the late first just because, well, I need to find the third best running back in the, or the fourth best running back in the class. Like that's my initial thoughts. What's your initial thoughts on it? You're you're a hundred percent right. We just, we did 13. So we had 13 pre NFL drafts, like real money leagues. Oh yeah. You can complete. speak on it even better then. Um, so a lot of times, man, if I'm picking at 108, 109, 110, Taking Zach Charbonnet is probably the most petrifying thing there is because you're making a bet pre-NFL draft too, pre-landing spot, pre-draft capital, what the NFL thinks about him. You're making a bet that he's RB3 in this class. And it's not that he's bad or anything. You can, If you're tapped into Destination Devi, if you're, you're high enough level or tier, you can go watch Ray's film breakdown of Zach Charbonnet. He's a good running back, but there's a lot of good running backs in this class. So when we're doing these, Picking at that spot is horrible. It's absolutely disgusting. Now, hand to God, I did take some Zach Charbonnet, but this is from a portfolio standpoint. Like, this is me just wanting some exposure because if I want him, that's where I have to take him. The problem is, Scott, you hit on this head. Like, when hit this on the head, when I uh, when I look at my rookie running back rankings, there's a lot of guys I like. It's Bijan Robinson in his own tier. It's Jameer Gibbs in his own tier. And then I have 10 guys in the next tier, and I'm going, any one of these guys could be RB3 of this class. Any one of these guys, somebody could be taking at 108, but I could also be getting at the 301. I could be getting at the 302, or like you said, a late second. So why am I sitting here in these drafts going like, I'm going to make the bet on Zach Charbonnet when the bet on Israel Abanacanda at the 211 is basically the same bet that I, you know, the same bet you're making on Zach Charbonnet. I think the biggest thing for me is we did six drafts probably before I went on vacation. I think we completed six, and then I had a week and a half off where I'm on a cruise. Come back, we do the other seven, and the other seven for me, and we we talked a little bit about this in Heisman, was uh, was Michael Mayer. It's going like, why, why don't I take some more chances at 108, 109, 110 on Michael Mayer? or Jordan Addison, or Quentin Johnson, whoever it may be, instead of this running back. Like, nobody's going to let me pivot down. Nobody really wants those picks. We, we can talk about it. Nobody really wants that pick. Nobody wants that decision to make. But if you have to make it, I don't think I'm doing it at running back, Scott. I, I think I'll, I'll make my bet on wide receiver. I'll make my bet on who's going to be a first-round wide receiver in this class. I'll make my bet on uh, who who's going to be the first tight end, the actual NFL draft first round tight end, whether it be Mayer or Kincaid. Uh, maybe I make my bet on on Hendon Hooker getting first round draft capital at the 108 or the 109. So I don't want to do it at running back. After Jameer Gibbs is just going, there, there's probably 10 guys for me that if they go round two to round four, I'm still interested on and they still be in the same tier. The problem I'm going to have is, after the NFL draft, how the hell do I sort this? How do I decide who I'm going to pick at these spots? Like, if I got to do rankings, who am I going to rank as RB3 of this class? Not that it really even re- – I, I don't think it actually really matters, but we can discuss that part because that's going to be interesting. But to your main point, Scott, is uh, there's a lot of guys, a lot of running backs in this class where I think they're all similar, and hopefully the NFL does a good job of telling us who's good, who's not, and and what they want to invest in. So with what you just said, I'm curious if you were ever in those spots, that 109, 110, 111, and you're going, well, I can speculate on my RB3 and RB4 and then just 
cross my fingers that come draft night, they don't go in middle of round five to a shitty spot. You know, they go round three or round four to a decent spot. Then at least I can justify, even if they're RB six post NFL draft, I didn't completely whiff on that 109 where I drafted Zach Charbonnet or Ty J Spears or whoever it was. But with that said, would you have traded that 109 for the 211 and AJ Dillon on the clock? Ooh, on the clock, I don't think I could do that. I don't think and I, I think stones. nope. We have this discussion, but then when we're on the clock and we see that number one oh nine, and we see that number, man, I gotta drop back to that two eleven. And right. all I'm getting is AJ freaking Dylan. Nah, I'm, I'm 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 cocky, man. I got an ego. I'm making that one oh nine. You know, because I I know my guy's gonna be there. That's the guy I'm. I want to draft. I want to bet on that Zach Charbonnet. Now, if you go, I'm taking Michael Mayer, probably fits your build in a certain way. If you're taking, I had this discussion with Brandon, if you're taking a receiver, it's probably a first-round receiver. I'm okay taking that bet. That's kind of like playing it safe a little bit. But I'm just wondering if any of those leagues where somebody took a running back in that range, did you see them actively going, hey, Mike, you got that Antonio Gibson in that 210. I'll let you come up here to the 109 and make this pick. We talk about it. We talk about all these leverage trades, these two-for-ones at running back. But when it's your feet to the fire and you have your finger on that draft button, we don't see these trades go down. And, and honestly, you put that in the Heisman chat, you jump into the voice chat, and you go, hey, guys, I just traded the 109 for the 209 and Antonio Gibson. You get clowned. What are you doing? That's a dumb trade. you know. And you'd have to sit here and explain for three minutes how it fits my roster build. I was going to draft Zach Charbonnet, but instead I'm going to get Zach Evans and Antonio Gibson. It's a two for one. I'm fine with that bet for what we just talked about in the first 20 minutes of the show. But why aren't people doing that? Why don't I see people going, hey, man, I'm, I, I don't see it in any chats, and I haven't done it. Hey, I got this 110. Instead of trying to trade it out for a first and a second or something, which isn't going to fly, hey, I'm willing to trade back to the mid to late second if you give me another body at running back. Like, why don't we see that? We talk about it. We would easily do it if in mid-June you put the players in that trade and someone offers you one running back for two, you'd go, man, I might consider the two if I like the two and they're all in the same bucket. But why don't we do it on the clock? Is there a little bias there? There's bias and there's ego. It's all it's all ego, man, 100%. I'm sitting there going at the 109 and this is the best offer I can. And you're 1,000% right. You don't have the foresight to think like, I would do this in June. I would do this in July. And these leagues that I'm talking about, these are best ball leagues. And I'm the guy out here going, man, anytime you can get the two for one, right? The two running backs. And you're going to get two running backs with that, like the 209. You're going to get a, uh, you know, a Tajay Spears and a Banacander. Or you can reach on Dwayne McBride in these pre-NFL drafts. You're going to get a running back. And you're getting Antonio Gibson or A.J. Dillon. But you don't have the foresight to look for it. I don't. And the other thing is, if somebody actually offered that, I'd be like, you're crazy. This isn't what the 109 is worth. This is ego. I can make the pick that's going to be better. Like, I know better. I know that Zach Charbonnet is RB3. Or I know Michael Mayer's going to be a good tight end in the NFL. He may not be elite, but he's going to be a good tight end. Or I know Quentin Johnson's going to be a good wide receiver. And we kind of touched on it on some other things, too. But we think back that isn't every 110, 111, isn't every single one of them Justin Jefferson or Justin Herbert? Like, Everybody in the world who picked at 110, 111 got Justin Jefferson or Justin Herbert, it seems. Well, Nobody talks about getting Jalen Rager. <laughs> but I think that point, to your point, you can justify not making the trade 
if you really want to get a share of Zay Flowers or you really want to get a share of Jordan Addison. Right. I right. can understand that bet. What I'm talking about is before you actually hit draft on Zach Charbonnet, a right. running back that you're already saying has a 90% chance of fit, fitting in this jumble group of running backs that we already know he's going to probably end up being in. You still don't consider the trade. Now, if you say, hey, I'm taking Michael Mayer because it's a 1.75 tight end premium and I think he could be a positional advantage guy, totally fine with that. If you're taking a first-round receiver, totally fine with that. It's when you take the running back and you still won't trade back, yet in a month, and this is how we're going to end the show because I'm going to ask you, what changes in a month, Mike? Great, we get draft capital. I can sit here and tell you with pretty good certainty there's going to be a shit ton of running backs that go between like pick... 80 and pick 150 in the NFL draft. Let's say they're 10 guys. Yep. If that happens, the draft capital is meaningless to me. It's all the same. It's going to all be who else is in the backfield? Is it a good offense? Is it a good landing spot? That's how the community is going to rank these guys. They are not going to take a late third round Zach Charbonnet that goes to the Titans over a mid fourth round Tajay Spears that goes to Cincinnati. They're just not. It's going to be the landing spot. The opportunity is going to rise the, the specific guys with the good parts of that to the top. And the guys with the blocked spots are going to go to the bottom. Nobody is going to go oh, third round draft capital. That's so much better than fourth round draft capital. I think we're smarter than that. And that's probably the correct analysis too, because I don't think the draft capital at the NFL level matter matters anymore. If you're a top 50 pick or better at running back, okay, the NFL is saying you're a guy that we had to get. We had to invest a premier pick. If you're a late round three versus late round four pick, that could literally be the difference of, okay, this team that's picking in that spot prefers this type of running back or this scheme, or the guy that really wanted that guy, they just didn't have a pick in the late third. They didn't pick till the mid fourth. So there, there really isn't a difference between that draft capital. So, how is it going to change? You have your list of 10. I bet you you're going to probably bump one or two of those guys significantly up after the draft, right? Just because somebody's yeah. going to land in a good spot. And you're going to probably take one or two of those guys and you're going to toss them aside because they went in round five and they went to a team that already has four running backs. And you're like, I just don't want to buy into that situation. But let's say your list of 10 now becomes seven. Then what? Are you still going to be willing to make that move? Are you going to trade back from the 109 or 110 to the 206 just for the process? Should we be doing that now? That's that's what I'm going to ask you to close the show. Definitely. Definitely. The, the longer we talked about this, the more I realized I should have never pushed the button on Zach Charbonnet. I don't want to make that bet, even from a portfolio standpoint. Like I, I should have pushed the button on wide receiver. I should have pushed the button on tight end if I didn't feel like it. If I didn't feel like I could get the value for the pick, what the market is, right? And it doesn't even have to be full boat. I don't need somebody to overpay. Like the pipe dream you talked about of a 24 first and second, that's probably not happening. In very few leagues is that ever going to happen. You have to find a major fish for that. But instead of settling for the you know, 209 and Antonio Gibson, like as an example, even though that's probably the right process play to make, I don't think you're fully capitalizing on the the quote unquote hype of the the 109 or the 110. What the actual market value is going to be, you're going to take a loss and you're you're probably going to get clowned. Even though in the end it might be the right play to make, I think the play is just don't make the bet on the RB3 of this class. I I don't know if you really want to make the bet on Jameer Gibbs. 
Like I know he's a great talent, and I know he could go with decent enough draft capital. But even in these pre-NFL drafts, like, do you want to make the bet on anybody outside of Bijan Robinson at running back when there's so many guys that are similar? So I think if you're sitting there at the 108, the 19, the 110, you need to be prepared to take something other than running back, <laughs> take some other position other than running back, but desperately, desperately trying to trade out. And, and at least, Scott, you brought up a good point about it. At the worst case, in every single league that you have that pick, you can find somebody to give you a a AJ Dillon, uh, Antonio Gibson, uh, a Damian Pierce, maybe plus a two hundred nine, plus the two ten. That's the absolute worst case. So you know, even if you get to that point where we talk about you got to trade this pick before you're on the clock. Doesn't matter. You're on the clock and you go to your league mates and go, I want the 209 plus Antonio Gibson. They're probably taking it because they think you're crazy. So Scott, I want to trade out of the pick. Uh, if I if I if I can't trade out of the pick, I'm looking and I'm seeing like which wide receiver got first round draft capital, which tight ends, you know, what's my tight end premium look like? I'm not taking running back. In these post NFL drafts, if I'm picking at 109, 110. I can guarantee you I'm I'm not taking running back. I'm doing anything other than taking running back. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway that I have here discussing it going, why? Why when the bucket of these running backs coming in, like you talked about, there's not a lot of difference between a guy who's going to go in the second round and a guy who's going in the mid-fourth. We're just going to base it off of where'd they go for landing spot? What's the coaching staff look like? How efficient is the offense? Are they going to have scoring opportunities? And what's surrounding them as far as competition? Like if you're RB4 on the depth chart walking in, probably not a great look. But if you're RB2, RB3, and the guys in front of you have injury problems or they're on the older side or they have those contracts, like Eric does a fantastic job of giving you contracts of all these players. If they have contracts where it's like this is an easing out, this guy can be cut you know, during training camp and they could just move on and all of a sudden this guy's RB2 on the depth chart. Why take a guy like Charbonnet who's going to have very similar draft capital? Or I'm even saying why take a guy like Jameer Gibbs where we think he's good, but the community thinks he's so much better than what he's going to be, and he's going to walk right into a 60%, 70% role. He'd be RB1 in any class. You know how many times I've heard that on Twitter? He'd be RB1 in any other class that we have. So I think with these running backs outside of Bijan, I'm just not that interested in them at their current cost. And I'll just go exactly like we do with veteran running backs is find that guy who's ranked higher or valued more by the community than everybody else. Who's at that top of that, that, Oh, I don't really know tier and just go to the bottom, get your plus and move on with yourself. Yeah. Great. Great answer to it. I think it leads into what I talked about last week with Cody. If you're stuck in these late picks, you got to have a plan. You're, if your plan includes, I'm just going to take the RB3 or the RB4, even post-NFL draft, I think you're making a bad bet. Now, there may be somebody that emerges as a clear RB3, uh, but guess what's going to happen, Mike? If that happens, that guy's going to start going 107, 108, right. if not higher. Zach Charbonnet goes round two to Cincinnati. He's going to be going up where Jameer Gibbs is. He's going to go ahead of Will Levis in some leagues. So, if it becomes crystal clear and obvious that a running back got a great landing spot, 
and he gets good draft capital, he's no longer going to be going at 109, 110, 111. Someone's going to take him higher. So I think the the play is have a plan with those picks. If you're taking a shot on a receiver because you're going, I'm taking a first-round receiver, and sometimes we're not good at picking out. We're good at picking out which receivers are good. Who is? I use the 2020 class all the time. Uh, we were pretty good at picking out that Jerry, Judy, Justin Jefferson, and C.D. Lamb were good receivers. Threshold receivers. Solid receivers. But you're fooling yourself if anybody knew exactly how those were going to tear out. Jefferson's going to be a Hall of Famer. C.D. Lamb's going to be a eight-time Pro Bowler. And Jerry, Judy's going to be a, a solid NFL pro for 10 years. But no one, no one, at least very few people were like, I know exactly how they're going to fall. One, two, three, four, with Jalen Rager being the one out of four that washed out of the freaking league. It's pretty easy to go, you know what? This year's class is very similar, right? You got yeah. Flowers, you got Johnston, you got Jordan Addison, and you got JSN. Everyone has an opinion on who's one, two, three, and four. But if you're just going to take a shot on one of those guys, I'm totally fine with it. If you're going to take Michael Mayer, I'm totally fine with it. Where I don't think it makes sense is like what you said, betting on the running back in this range just because you think you're the best tape scout or even if you listen to Ray, like I listen to Ray for him to tell me, okay, Scott, here's who I have ranked without any of this muckled mess of who's going to go where, who's a good running back, who's not a good running back. I use that. Then I use my data to look and go, okay, this is kind of what like a 60%er looks like. Here's what a 40%er looks like. That gives me basic rankings. If I'm forced to pick today, how I would order them. But I also acknowledge 80% of what I'm saying today is out the window on May 2nd when I'm in a rookie draft. It's going to all be about having a plan for these picks. So go back and listen to that show with Cody. I'll take Mike's advice on if you're sitting in these late picks, you cannot just sit and go, I'll take the best running back available. I think you're doing yourself a disservice, especially if you're playing in a, a deeper league or a bus ball league where getting the leverage or getting the two for one can be very useful. If it's a, if it's a start nine or a start 10, take the running back. You, you need to hit on the bell count anyway for it to be relevant. But if it's a start 12 or it's a best ball, like having that extra A.J. Dillon or that extra Antonio Gibson or that extra second laying around is a big deal. And you don't see it now because you have a preference for, oh, I have to make that pick because I'm going to be able to pick the best player at that 110. Uh, but it's just smarter to kind of take the process in this point. I think this is a great spot to do it. So good discussion, dude. We could go on like three more hours on running yes. backs. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll do some more collaborations over the summer and stuff. But uh, what do you want to close it out with? Share, plug, whatever. Uh, just the biggest thing. I mean, next week, the NFL draft's coming. Uh, you and I will be hanging out along with a lot of the Destination Debbie team. If you didn't check out the draft stream last year, make sure that you're plugged in this year. Uh, Thursday night, Friday night, and then Adam and I, we're degenerates day three. Uh, we go hard all seven hours, seven hours plus on just I day think we're three doing. Guys, so. I think we're doing, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we are doing, uh, are we doing an America's Game draft with you guys after day two? No, we could. We could. Definitely. I, I, this is a rumor, but I believe right. I was told from a little birdie that Adam and Mike are coming on after day two to do a four-round mock draft based Ooh, on the first go. three rounds. <laughs> let's go. I'm definitely and I'm like, that. And the good thing is that's what, Friday night? That'll start about, what, midnight Eastern? Yeah. And it comes out the next morning at 7 a.m. So that will be hot off the presses. Literally. Literally, Content. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to run and, and pass out quickly. That way we can wake up and stream the entire day three, like seven hours, like we did last year. But it was a good time. My so, God. 
that's probably the only thing I really want to plug. I mean, you guys know where our stuff is, but check out what we're doing at Destination Debbie, especially for the draft stream, because it was a blast last year. We had Scott on on day two, and you like this discussion? Just wait until we have all those lulls in the NFL draft where there's nothing to talk about other than how how we're going to use this for dynasties. So you want to know which running backs to actually draft, we'll be going through them as they come off the board. So check that out. Yep, for sure. Uh, follow Mike at Iowa Michael on Twitter. Check out their Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash South Harmon, right? That's it. That's it, buddy. Check it out uh, there. Check out everything at Destination Devi, patreon.com slash all gas. And then finally, that pesky newsletter that everyone shares a little bit differently. Uh, allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. That should get you there under your email. Uh, enjoy the draft and uh, we'll sign off. Ain't like that.